0: you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605.
1: Good morning, I'm Michaela Campbell and I'm going to be reading from scripture this morning. I'll be reading Ephesians 2 uh, verses one through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but... for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much. Okay, I want to talk to you about being dead tired. Like the kind of tired, you know, where you're not really functioning. Anybody in the house? Like the kind of tired when maybe you missed a couple buttons on your shirt when you're kind of getting things rolling in the morning or the kind of dead tired when you've been driving and you've realized you have not been paying attention at like the last three stoplights. Anybody been there in ever in your life? Yeah, you are moving. But you are not functioning. There was a time when we were a two-car seat family. Now we're a two-booster seat family, and it's glorious. Yes, it is something to celebrate. But there was a time when we had two car seats, and I ended up putting my younger son, Miles, in my older son, Griffin's car seat. And Griffin wasn't, Miles wasn't really talking at this point, so I kind of like, I was super tired. I like plopped him in there, and he just looked at me like, bro, you need Jesus, like something, this is like, this. you're doing the wrong, you are doing the wrong thing. And we've all, I think, experienced like those times and those moments. And Paul is writing to a, a church in this city called Ephesus that we've been talking about. Like it's a major city in Asia Minor. Like there's lots of things going on, lots of stories being told, lots of goods coming and going. And Paul is concerned that the church in Ephesus is being shaped more by the news that's going on, things that are going on in Ephesus, than they are the good news of the gospel. And so he's writing this letter to them to talk to them about who God is, to talk to them about what he has done, about what has been poured from heaven into their lives. And he starts off talking about the problem of death, that we are dead in our transgressions and sins, and the idea here is that like we're we're moving, but like we're not living and you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter two, and there's Adam and there's Eve, and there's this serpent, and then there's this great lie that the serpent pushes toward Adam and Eve, and the lie is like, hey, God's holding out on you like God is holding something behind his back. And he's really not telling you the whole story because he's told you to, hey, stay away from this tree, from this fruit. But he knows that something will happen if you embrace that tree, if you embrace that fruit. Like, then you're going to know all the stuff that he knows. And God doesn't want you to know all the stuff that he knows. He wants to keep you in the dark. And Adam and Eve are told, like, hey this tree it seems like it leads to life but it actually leads to death like it seems like it leads to light but it actually leads to darkness and god promises adam and eve that there was going to be death that this tree actually brings and many of us know the story that they eat from this tree and they don't die instantly And so it's not necessarily this biological death, like Adam and Eve don't have some kind of heart event or cancer, but as time goes, they have distance in their relationship with God. And that distance in their relationship with God empties them of life. Anybody ever had this experience, like you're trying to connect to like some kind of Bluetooth and you just want to throw it in the garbage? Because you're like, oh, my God, put the code in already. What do you want from me, Satan? I don't know what else to do. And a lot of times Bluetooth stuff doesn't work. Why? Some operator error, let's be honest. But sometimes it doesn't work because we're not close enough to the actual unit. So actually, the proximity of where we are actually makes the thing work. And I think in our relationship with God, part of the death we experience has to do with the distance that we experience in our relationship with God. And so Paul wants the Ephesian church not just to walk around, but to live. Not to live from this place of exhaustion and death, but from this place of life, he wants to reiterate what Isaiah says in chapter 60, verse 1. Isaiah says, Arise, like wake up and shine, for your light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So two commands, like arise, stand up, and then like let your life shine. Like there is light that has been placed on you, so walk in that way. And then in verse 2, He talks about like how they used to live. Like you used to be, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And there's a way that you used to live. The word in the original language helps us know it's not just about living, but it's about walking. Like you used to walk in these ways. It's this Greek word peripeteo, and it just means to walk. And there's lots of different ways that you can walk, it turns out, in life. And Paul wants to talk with the Ephesian church about when they followed the ways of the world. Like, that's what their life was about. Like, that's what their steps were about. About the ways of the world, like the story that the world wants to tell about what's true. Like, the values that the world has for you. Like, you used to walk in that way. And when we talk about, like, the ways of the world, I think we can talk about, like, the competition of the world. Like, so much of our world is based on who I am versus someone else. Not even in relation to them. But the world wants us to kind of embrace this competition. It's like me versus them. It's those people versus these people over here. Or the, the accumulation of the world like the, the the more you accumulate the happier you will be. I'll be honest, I got rid of four hats yesterday. <laughs> and if you know me, you know that that's hard to do because I like to hold on to stuff. And I don't wear the hats anymore. They're like old and they're dirty and they just needed to go. And I was having a conversation with Michaela and I said, "Hey, I'm just not bragging, but I just like you know, I got rid of four hats." And she looked at me lovingly, she's like, I'm so proud of you. I said, I know. But how many of us live in that place? Like, we just feel better, feel powerful, feel comforted when we have stuff. So we followed, like, the ways of the world, the story that the world wants to tell, but we also followed somebody else, Paul says. We followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Like, this is his way of talking about the evil one, talking about Satan, Satan. And Satan has words that he wants to speak over every life, and he has a vision for every life. And sometimes in the American church, this is how we talk about Satan, we talk about how God cares deeply for us, Satan cares not at all for us. That's actually not true. Satan cares very much about us. He cares very much what happens with us. He cares very much the story that we embrace. He cares very much about the vision that we walk toward in our life. He has a vision and he has words. And then in verse 3, Paul says, man, all of us have lived in that place. Like all of us have walked in that place where we're believing the words of the evil one and we're walking in disobedience and in distance to God. Like Paul says, I've been there too. Like he's just not yelling at the church for all the bad stuff that they've done. He's saying, no, like I place myself in that same conversation. Like we've all fed the cravings and the desires and the thoughts. Like we've all done what we want to do. But we're not supposed to live there anymore. Growing up, I lived in this house on Prairie Avenue between 16th and 17th, 812, if you're taking notes, for years and years and years. It was like a block away from Lowell Elementary. And so it was easy to get to school on time, theoretically. But I don't live in that house anymore. And it would Scare the people inside the house if I just like showed up and like walked in and grabbed a thing from the pantry and went downstairs to my room. I can still show you where my room is, it's just not my room anymore. Like I'm not supposed to live there. I'm not supposed to walk in those ways. And Paul wants to wake up the Ephesian church. Like, hey, I know that that was a part of your life. Like, I know, like operating in this like anger and hatred towards other people. Like, I know that you lived there. And I know that you used to live in this place of, like, needing to control everything. Where, like, there's a kingdom and you're the king of it. And I know that you used to live in that place, but you've been called out of that place. Like, I know there was a time in your life when you refused to forgive people who wronged you. And I know there was a time when you kept score. But God has stepped into your story, into the history of the world, and he's changed things. And he's called you out of that house. And so why would you continue walking in there? Because you don't live there anymore. It's called trespassing. And then Paul continues. And I think there's this question that bubbles up for us. And the question is not like, have we ever lived in that place? But I think the question is like, have we continued to live in that place? Like, has there been a time when the things that we have served, like when our idols have become rivals, like, has that happened? Paul talks about happening for him. Like you can read about this in Acts 8 and Acts 9. Like Paul lived a very different life. Like he was not building up the church of Jesus. That's maybe a nice way to say it. He was persecuting the church of Jesus. Like he's present at the first execution of a follower of Jesus. Stephen is his name. He's the first martyr, right? And he is stoned to death. In the ancient world, throwing rocks at somebody's body until they are no longer living and breathing and moving. And Paul's present in that place. But then something amazing happens in Acts chapter 9. Like, God shows up to him face to face and says, hey, why are you persecuting me? Knock it off. And he he places a calling on his life. Like, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name. I'm going to use you to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And that changes the entire trajectory of his life. And what I love about Paul is Paul does not pretend he used to live in a place that he no longer lives. And I think that's what the mercy and grace and the kindness and the goodness of God does. It's not that we forget where we used to live. It's just that we reject where we used to live because of the goodness of God. And that's what Paul does. So first we see the problem of death. And then verse 4, we see that the solution is grace. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy. And I love that description of him. Like he's got mercy abounding. Mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy. You ever like play that game with somebody? We won't do it this morning where you like kind of like grab hands with somebody and then you can kind of like pull them, right? So this was something that always happened in like the back of the bus on youth ministry trips, right? and you like squeeze somebody's hands until they yell mercy, right? And I love this picture of God in the New Testament that he's rich in it, like, like mercy's his name tag. It's the way that he exists and moves in the world. And then b- verse five, God made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trans- on our trespasses and sins. Like when we were following the ways of the world, he made us alive, even when we were dead, when we were following the, the ruler of the air. But God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive. And then something else happened in verse 6. He raised us up with Christ. Like there's a, there's a resurrection life that has come to us. He's, done something with us. He's changed that situation. He's raised us up. And then he's done something else. He's seated us with him. What I love about that, the fact that he's raised us up and he's seated us with him, is that he's given us two things. He's given us life in the resurrection. And what else has he given us? He's given us belonging. He's giving us a place to sit. Several weeks ago, I was doing a wedding in Rapid City. And we're at the reception and we're trying to figure out like where to sit. You've been in there in life. Like you're not really, it's not super clear. There's a bunch of open chairs, seats, whatever. And we saw this sign it was with a group of people. We're trying to figure this out. And there's like way over here on the super long table, there's a place that said reserved. And so we're like, okay, probably not there, but like, there's all these open seats right here. And then like, we were all talking together. Like, Hey, do you think we can sit here? Do you think this is like for us? Or do you think this is, like, for somebody else? And I kind of felt comfortable because I did the wedding. So I'm like, well, we're sitting here. Like, whatever. I can do what I want, right? Like, and they're, they're maybe going to come tell us to move, whatever. Let's just sit here and see what happens. And then the mother of the bride walks by, and somebody that we were with flags her down, and, she's, and she just says, hey, is it okay that we sit here? And the mother of the bride is like, well, of course you can sit here. Like, that's why we, that's why we, that's why this is here. That's why we have chairs and why we have these tables like of course this is for you and can I just tell you my experience with a lot of people who call themselves Christians is that they live their lives wondering if there's a place for me here even though they have heard about what God has done for them again and again and again and again they kind of walk throughout life not walking in the confidence of what God has done for them But they walk in the insecurity of the moments of their lives when they know that they have not lived in light of what has been done for them. And then verse seven. I love this part. This part's so beautiful. Why? Paul answers why Christ did all this. Like why he made us alive with Christ Jesus. Like why he he raised us and why he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Don't you just love that it doesn't say so that in the coming ages he might tell you about the incomparable riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus? Like, our God's not a telling God. Can I just tell you that in the room this morning? Like, he's a showing God. And so he's not, it's just not good enough to tell you things he needs to show. And so he does all of this so that he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace. And then a verse that many of us have heard before, it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. And there's this phrase, have been saved. And you're saying to yourself, Dave, isn't that a perfect passive participle? Yes, it is. Good job. What that means is that there's something that has happened in the past that has continuing effect in the present. Like, yes, it happened. But it has continuing effect now. It is by grace you have been saved. Something that's happened in the past has continuing effect in the present. And I want to tell you, like my favorite definition of grace comes from this man who is with Jesus now. And his name is J.C. Chambers. And one day, he just showed up to my office unannounced. It's kind of like what he was in a meeting in the area. And so he just pulled in and brought a bunch of R&B CDs because that's just what you do, like a 100 of them. And we're having this conversation in my office. I'll never forget this. And we were talking to J.C. He like to have got these glasses, kind of like, look at you like that. So he's looking at me like that. And he says, like, I need to tell you about grace. Grace means that whatever you bring doesn't disqualify you. Whatever you bring doesn't disqualify you. It means that you have a seat, you have a place, and you have a name in the kingdom of God. And when I was doing youth ministry, we would go on trips all the time, and kids would bring something like this, and there would just be a pile in the parking lot, and I'm throwing them in the bus. Right? We're packing them all up. And can I just tell you, every single time we did that, I just felt in my spirit like, oh yeah, they're carrying stuff. Like this is a, a physical representation of the stuff in their lives that they're carrying. And I just think for a lot of people, not just teenagers, I think we're all carrying stuff. And of course, the stuff that's inside is different because people pack differently. So, I always had the youth group kid who brought like one sweatshirt, one, because that was like just what he did. It's just, we, there was always a Toby, not his real name. <laughs> and then we had the overpackers. I was like, oh, great, Alicia, 40 t shirts were gone for two days. That will be great. Thank you. And you can tell by when you lifted them up. But can I just tell you today that like whatever you carry, whatever you bring, the grace of God says like that doesn't disqualify you. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not about you. It is not by your effort you have been saved. It is not by your knowledge you have been saved. It is not by your perspective you have been saved. It is not by your family you have been saved. It's not by the memory verses in the scriptures that you can recite, that you have been saved. It is by grace. It's the gracious hand of God. Can I remind you that in Genesis chapter 2 God doesn't show up at the side of Adam and Eve because they have faith. It's not a prerequisite for his presence. He shows up. And he desires to walk with them. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. Through the faithfulness of God. Not of yourselves. And why is it not of yourselves? So that we can't brag about it. Because God knows we would brag about it if we could. So he makes it not about us, but about him. that nobody can claim credit. And one of my great concerns for the American church is that the American church spends a lot of time on the treadmill of Genesis 2. This is how I have failed. This is how I have broken relationship with God. And I just want the church to hold that, but I also want the church to hold Ephesians to Somebody. It's by grace you have been saved through faith because that treadmill's not taking you anywhere. Just keep going and going and going and going. You're living, but you're not moving at all. You're walking around, and you can't remember, did I put gas in the car or not? How many buttons did I get buttoned? I'm not really sure. Am I putting the kid in there? You're just living in that place. So I want us to get off the treadmill of Genesis 2 and to embrace the goodness of God and His grace that we see in Ephesians 2. And if I asked you this morning, like, how do you, how do you fight? If I brought somebody up here and asked them, you know, if they were gonna fight me, how they would do it. One time I was doing a, a youth group camp and I asked the same question and I brought some kids up. We won't do that today, but uh, the sixth grade girl Came up and like 80 pounds, blonde, super precious, and gave her the microphone. I said, Hey, if you're gonna fight me, how'd you do it? And she goes, I would punch you in your Adam's apple. (laughs) Wow, you can be seated, right? Like, how do you fight? You fight by your effort, you fight by your strength, you fight by your intellect. Like, how's the evil one fight? How does the ruler of the prince of the Air. How does he fight? He's got a one-two punch. Here's his one-two punch. First is like, oh, this is not a big deal. Like living in this way, like the decisions you're making, the way you're talking, the stuff that you're doing in your life, it's not a big deal. And then what happens? And then you do that. And then here comes the one-two. The second punch is you're the worst. You're the worst. Why would you ever do that? First, it's all, it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. It's not, don't worry. And then you do it and you're the worst. That's how God, that's how Satan fights. No big deal. You're the worst. How does God fight? You ever notice this in scripture? How does God fight sin and death and the evil one? How does God fight? God fights through his affection. God fights with his affection. With his love. So I want to show you Isaiah 54 I invite the band up as we close though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed says the Lord who has compassion on you though the mountains be shaken the hills be removed Yet yeah, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed Says the Lord who has compassion on you. Oh, that we could receive that in Jesus' name. To not live in this place where we're just waiting for God to remove his love. Just like waiting for God to remove his promises, to remove his covenant. Like we're one step away from losing it all. And God says, no, like, the likelihood of that happening is the same likelihood of like the mountains and the hills like getting sucked into the earth. And then in John chapter three, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So death is the problem, grace, is the solution, so what's the outcome? He answers that in verse 10. The outcome is masterpiece. Poema in the original language. And this word poema is like the work of somebody's hands. And sometimes I think we misread, we misunderstand this in the church when pastors talk about this because people receive like, yeah, I'm a masterpiece. Like created by God, love it. It's like a, it's a great theme for like camp or like some kind of luncheon in a church, some kind of event that takes place in the fellowship hall, masterpiece. Great. But you know what I think we miss? I think we miss that Paul's writing to the whole church that like we together our masterpiece creating Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do that's how he ends it so masterpiece is both personal and corporate so God has like good works for us to walk in together but what keeps us from walking in those good works together is the idea that God actually has grace for you and me and us and it's a grace that never runs out And it's grace enough to redeem Genesis 2. And all the times when you and I have lived in a place that we have not been called to live and we've actually refused to step out of that place and in the goodness and the kindness and the compassion and the love of God, makes us alive with Christ Jesus, and He seats us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, why? So that in the coming ages, He might show the incomparably great power that He has and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Because He's got a work for us to be about. And if we don't receive that grace, if we don't walk in that grace, we're gonna miss the thing that God wants to do. And so at the very end of Ephesians two, we have to talk about Les Miserables because what else will we talk about? And it's a incredible, incredible story of grace for this man named John Valjean. And he has lived in some places that have caused a lot of pain towards him and towards others. And there's a moment at the, kind of towards the end, of this musical, movie, book, however you want to think of it. Yes, of course, the book is better. Don't fight me. We already had that part in the message. And he steals from this man. And so the police get involved, and and the man that he stole from tells the police, like, oh, no, 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 it's a gift. He can, he can have the silver that he knows he stole. So don't take him away. Let him go. I gave it to him. And then there's the final song, which I'm going to sing for you now. Just kidding. Kendall got me going with that. But here's what he says in the song. I don't know French, so I'm giving it to you in English. John Valjean says, I'll escape now from the world, from the world of John Valjean. John Valjean is nothing now. Another story must begin. And what John saying sang in that moment is what I want to tell the American church like another story has got to begin because yes Genesis 2 don't come after me later and say like oh he doesn't care about no I care deeply about Genesis 2 but I also care deeply about Ephesians 2 that we have been made alive and it's actually what makes grace beautiful is that we have Genesis 2 So another story, church, has to begin for us, and it begins with receiving the grace and the goodness of God. So no matter what you bring today, it doesn't disqualify you. And you're part of God's masterpiece. You're part of the work that he wants to accomplish through you in the world for good. Let's pray.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.